time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to Vintage Truth Podcast. I'm Jeff Kinley, and you know, we're talking about belief and doctrine and why it really matters. And, you know, we live today in an age of cultural compromise where truth is fluid and basically truth is anything that you want it to be isn't that crazy the idea there's almost this like voodoo idea that if you speak something it all of a sudden becomes some sort of reality you know like like casting a spell on culture you just speak a truth or a thought or an opinion and all of a sudden it becomes (laughs) accepted practice uh, in the world today and yet when you start speaking God's truth, that is uh, suddenly rejected. So, it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't swing both ways here. It's uh, sort of a one-way street in this culture of tolerance, not. But compromise. You know, there's a, a game, a tabletop game that's known as Jenga. Perhaps you've heard of it. And in this game, these wooden rectangles are stacked together to construct like a tower-like figure. And then players take turns removing one of the rectangles without, you know, hopefully causing the tower to fall. But as blocks are removed, obviously they're placed on top of the tower and the structure gets progressively taller and less stable. Finally, somebody pulls out a block and the whole structure collapses and falls apart all over the table. That's Jenga. Well, what's happening today is we're playing sort of a theological Jenga in culture and really specifically uh, in the church as well. People are pulling out one doctrinal truth or one moral truth, one after another, leaving these gaping holes in the the tower of the faith, the citadel of the faith, and it becomes less and less stable. Eventually, one key block is removed and the whole structure fails to stand anymore. And that's what we're seeing today. And of course, you know, no one can really take down God's truth. It stands over time. God's word remains. But in human terms, the visible church of Jesus Christ is weakening before our very eyes. And we see this compromise today in the church, both doctrinally and morally. I mean, we see churches denying such things as the inspiration and sufficiency of scriptures. We don't need the Bible anymore. We'll study another book or another type of truth that tells us information about ourselves. They're denying the virgin birth of, of Jesus, saying that's not really important. Yeah, it is. The deity of Christ, forgiveness by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How about the literal, visible return of Jesus to the earth like the Bible describes? Some of these things are no longer considered essential and in many cases are, are viewed as detrimental to progress. I heard of a leading Christian author, speaker, pastor the other day talking about eschatology or the study of the end times and he talked about you know there's all this talk about Jesus coming back and the rapture and all this stuff he says it's a dangerous and unhealthy doctrine oh my gosh it's the bible you're talking about here wow you know way back when when Billy Graham was in his early days he was out preaching in Los Angeles and Time Magazine described his um his preaching as it quote it says I, be, I believe this Episcopalian pastor was saying this about Billy Graham he said I believe he's putting the church back 50 years 
with all this preaching. And so the next morning at a minister's breakfast during the close of the crusade, Graham, who rarely responded to his critics, said, you know what, I'm afraid that I failed. I had really hoped to set the church back 2,000 years, not 50 years. So there are things in the church, these doctrinal truths that are kind of being pulled out one by one, and sometimes it's very, very subtle, as we'll see in some future broadcasts when I talk about some modern-day theological subjects that are being written about by some famous authors out there. But Francis Schaeffer was a great Christian thinker here in the, the last century. He pointed out this danger years ago. He said, quote, If our reflex action is always accommodation to culture, regardless of the centrality of the truth involved, and there's something very, very wrong. You know, some of you guys may have heard of the Salvation Army, those guys that ring bells, you know, at Christmas time, collect money for people. I don't know if you know this or not. The Salvation Army is an actual church. It's not just a Christian organization. It's a church. And the Salvation Army does some great work. And it was founded around the turn of the last century in the early 1900s. And uh, anyway, the guy who founded this organization, this, this church thing, was called, uh, his name was called William Booth, okay? And he was a passionate follower of Jesus. And right before the 20th century began, right about 1900, right? He knew that even then Christianity was struggling. He predicted by the end of the 20th century, many in the church would be preaching the following things. He said they'd be preaching Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. Well, Booth's words seem eerily prophetic today. Compromise has sucked the life out of the living Church, You know, recent polls disclose that 70% of Americans with a religious affiliation say that many religions, not just their own, can lead to salvation and eternal life. While 57% of evangelical regular church attenders believe that many religions can bring salvation. 57%. That's over half the people in most evangelical churches. And that just shows us that the greatest danger to the church today is not humanism or paganism or atheism or agnosticism or some other ism. The greatest danger is not the hostility that we receive from the world regarding our faith. Our greatest danger is the apostasy on the inside, arising from false teachers and theological liberals who deny and distort biblical doctrine and lead others down the same path. It's like the old preacher Vance Havner used to say. He said, it's not the woodpeckers on the outside we have to worry about. It's the termites on the inside. You know, it's a very interesting thing that, you know, we, we, we talk about how bad the world is and how our culture is going to hell and everything else is happening. But, but, but the deal is, is that the world, with all of its opposition against the church, the world really is not the greatest danger to the church. The church itself can be its greatest danger. It's not the world that's going to shut the doors of the church. We don't really have to worry about that. You know who we need to worry about shutting the doors of the church? Jesus. Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, this incredible church that the book of Ephesians was written to, that First and Second Timothy 
was written to through Timothy, who was pastoring the church at Ephesus at the time, he said this to them. He said, after he said some good things about them, then he goes, but this I have against you that you have left your first love. He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place. The lampstand of a church is its light, its ability to influence culture and the community and to have to be a witness, to be salt and light for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to remove your effectiveness. You know, wouldn't it be interesting if you could drive by churches at night in your city and see which ones have a spiritual lamp lit inside and which ones are dark inside? Which ones have had their lampstand removed already by the Lord Jesus Christ because they have refused to defend the truth and to stand for the truth and to promote the truth? And they've compromised. They've compromised. You know, some people, to get them to say what they believe, trying like trying to nail jello to the wall. And it's all because we, we're living in this culture where people are opening their minds so much that their brains are falling out. That's the problem with having too much of an open mind. Well, I think there are several causes as to why this is happening. And the reason I share this with you is because you need to watch out for these things in your own life. You know, part of guarding the purity of your own faith is knowing what things can threaten it. And there, here are a couple of reasons. There are actually five reasons why I believe that the world, uh, or rather the church, is causing itself to compromise out there in the world. Here's the first thing. First is that many people just love the world itself. They, they love the world that we live in. They, they love their sin. They don't really care about following God's word. Their priority is themselves and following their own desires. Secondly, some people compromise because they have a really a superficial attention to God's word. They don't know the Bible and they don't take it seriously. So that that's why they stray from the truth. It's like I was talking to my wife the other day and we were talking about just how certain churches, certain denominations sort of do and they do this with their people. They just give you kind of they skim the surface of Christianity. They skim the surface of the Bible. They skim the surface of doctrine and truth and mistakenly think that they've got it now. And so, well, I guess we've done the Bible thing. Let's do something else now. And so God's Word is really not that important to them. And as I talked about last time, there's so much more there. If you'll just stop, stop the boat and at least snorkel for a while, you know, before you can scuba dive and get down to some really good truth. I mean, it's great truth at every level for the Bible, right? There's milk, there's also meat, there's stuff you can get from the surface, and there's stuff you can get way down in the depth. So some people just have a superficial attention to God's Word. Third reason that, that Christians compromise is because sometimes they're just being rebellious and defiant against God in their life. I mean, they're just not walking with God, they're just walking with themselves, and so that leads to compromise. A fourth reason is because the Bible and the words of Jesus and the words of Bible prophecy, too— they can be very hard and very narrow. I mean, Jesus lost followers a lot, okay? Many people walked away from Jesus when he turned up the heat of discipleship. Talked about that in an earlier broadcast. Is that when Christ was walking the earth, 
I mean, when it got below the surface, people were like, you know, I got to go now because he started demanding things of them, things like that they call him Lord and mean it. Lordship, followship, faithfulness. I mean, Christ wanted people to follow him and to do it faithfully. And so when he turned up the heat on that, they began to walk away. And so the sayings of Christ, they rub against the grain of our sinful nature. And sometimes they go against our own belief system. See, what are you going to do when you come to a point in the Bible that rubs you the wrong way? What are you going to do when you come to a doctrine that really messes with your preconceived ideas of what God should be like? What do you do with that? I was talking to a lady today after church. She was telling me about a passage of scripture they're getting ready to study in their Bible study, their women's Bible study. And I said to her, I said, you know what? That passage is going to mess with you. That passage is going to cause you to take a step back and really think about who this God is that you claim to serve. And, and sometimes, you know, it'll be very uncomfortable. Some of the things that we read that Jesus says. And I'm reminded that you know, Mark Twain, in his early life, he moved to a mining town in Nevada one time, and it was a wide open town with brothels and bars on every corner. And, and then Mark Twain said, you know, I immediately recognized this was no place for a Presbyterian. So I decided not to be one anymore. <laughs> he compromised. Many have followed his example. They find it hard to be a Christian, so they either quit trying or they compromise their convictions in the world. There's a fifth reason why people compromise. It's because they just want to please people. You know, I know a lot of people, and so do you, who just love pleasing people. They would no more disappoint a person or disappoint a friend, but they sure will disappoint God. They'll let him down. They just want to please people. You know why? Because they're insecure. When you have insecurities, empty spots in your life, that are not filled by a confidence given you there by God, because you get that from his word, by the way. And, and maybe you, you didn't receive that kind of confidence built in you as a child from your parents or whatever. But when you're insecure, then a lot of people naturally want to please other people. Why? So that they can get back from them a sense of affirmation, a sense of knowing I'm okay, you like me. And that desire to be liked sometimes trumps our called loyalty to God and to his word. And so we end up telling people what they want to hear. We end up being quiet. We should speak up. We end up avoiding conflict at all costs. And I avoid conflict too. Don't get me wrong. I don't look for conflict. But it's like, you know, when there's a, a rift there, we're, we're not going to stand up. So we in, in the church today, we're under constant pressure to weaken our belief system and even our morality so that we can make other people feel good about themselves. And as we talked about last time, it's not about how you feel. So we hear things like, we don't have to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, go to heaven, there are many roads to heaven, or nobody's going to go to hell, hell's not a literal place anyway, and God wouldn't send you there, and or things like, well, God's will for you is to be rich and healthy all the time, or you can love anybody you want to love. God will never judge you because it's all about love. Love is love, right? Or why believe in a book that was written so long ago? 
See, all those things are things that challenge what the Bible says is truth. And if you and I know that truth, then we can more faithfully follow God's word. Remember the, the woodpeckers and the termites? Let me, let me give an example of a termite from within. There's a popular blogger turned author named Rachel Held Evans. She's a, a female blogger. And she claims to be a, a Christian. And she wrote this uh, in, a, um, in a post. She said she was talking about Jesus. And she says that uh, when the woman was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, uh, she was brought to Jesus by her enemies. And she says that Jesus broke the law of God in order to help the woman in this story. And I quote, she says, Jesus once said that his mission was not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in this instance, fulfilling the law meant letting go of it. It may serve as little comfort to those who have suffered abuse at the hand of Bible-wielding literalists, but the disturbing laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy lose just a bit of their potency when God himself breaks them. End quote. Obviously, an untrained, ill-equipped, uneducated woman who does not understand the Word of God. What a blasphemous charge that Jesus sinned. Can you believe that? There's so much we can say about that that's, that's just, just unpacking that kind of theology. There's another famous female blogger and once again, these people are not coming, knocking on your door saying, hey, don't be a Christian. Follow Satan. Chainsaw your parents to death. That's not what they're saying. These are people that are within the church that are leading tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of women across the country. There's another one. Uh, her name is Glennon Doyle Melton. She's a, a huge blogger, a New York Times bestselling author. She says this, she says, The better way, the underneath perfection of things, is what I feel in my bones, and it looks like this. There is no war. All hungry people are fed. This is what I want. All lonely people are loved. People of all races, religions, genders, sexualities, cultures, and abilities are valued equally in our human, one human family. There is justice, peace, love, and equality. This sort of unseen order of things, in my view, is heaven on earth. Christians might call it the kingdom of God. My Jewish friends call it shalom, while my atheist friends call it love or peace. Loving kindness. Our Buddhist brothers and sisters might call it all people who are working together to bring the above unseen order of things to earth, whether they are atheist, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, or Christian. These people are my faith partners. I don't really care what label you give yourself. I care about the unseen order of things you believe in and are working towards. It's contradictory statements, by the way. She goes on to say about Matthew 7:21, where Jesus said, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And she says, Do I think this scripture is a threat of hell? Hell no. I don't think any scripture is a threat. I think scripture is an invitation to an unseen order of things that is truer than anything we can actually see, end quote. Notice she kept saying things like feeling and what I think. That's because feeling and human opinion is the modern Bible. It doesn't matter in what the Bible actually says. It only matters how you feel about what the Bible says. You know, 
it reminds me of the story of the New York family that bought a ranch out west where they were going to raise cattle. So friends visited them and asked them if the ranch had a name. And they said, well, um, the cattleman said, I said, I, I want to name it the Bar J Ranch. My, my wife favored it, naming it the Susie Q Ranch. And one son liked calling it the Flying W, and the other son wanted to call it the Lazy Y. And so we're calling it the Bar J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y Ranch. To which the friend said, but where are all your cattle? The man said, well, none survived the branding. <laughs> May take you a second to figure that one out. Make no mistake, compromise can be deadly. You see, when confronted by the compromise that's out there in the world and even in the church, we have to know what we believe. We have to stand by the solid rock truth of God. One of the men who's done this in history with a man, was a man by the name of Athanasius of Alexandria. He served as Bishop of Alexandria for 45 years. And he knew five popes, he knew five emperors, he survived five exiles, nearly 20 years, as well as being persecuted under the Emperor Diocletian. He's best known, though, with his lengthy battle against the heresy of Arianism. Arius was a church leader from Alexandria, Egypt. He believed that Jesus was not co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. And he claimed that Jesus was actually a created being. He taught that Christ was, was a son simply because he was a creature and the greatest of all creatures, but simply a creature. And so Athanasius, he didn't say, well, that's not important. Don't worry about it. You know, let's just love each other. No, Athanasius said, well, the entire Christian faith is at stake if Jesus is not God, okay, because he claimed to be God. He understood that. And so this controversy raised, raged for years uh, between the two of them. And at one point, looked like the whole Roman Empire is moving away from orthodoxy into Arianism in terms of the Christian church. And so someone exclaimed to Athanasius, he said, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. What, what are you going to do? And his famous response was, quote, then it is Athanasius against the world, end quote. Tertullian was another giant of the faith, a church father in the third century. He authored a book called On Idolatry, and his book deals with the issues of Christians who made a living by making idols. And when believers in his day were told that, that because they were Christians, they should not be involved in the business of making idols, they said, well, we have to live. There's no other way by which we can live. Tertullian's response was this. He said, do you really have to live? You see, that probing question cuts to the heart of the issue of compromise. Compromise always has an excuse for why it needs to compromise. Yes, I have to live. Do you really? Many today believe they have to live and to live the kind of lives in front of other people that is comfortable and has no clash with them or with culture, or with beliefs or with doctrine. The truth is, however, that you and I don't have to live. The ultimate claim upon our lives is not living, it's loyalty to Christ. We don't have to live, but we do have to be loyal to Him. That's what life is really all about. So as Christians today, we have to stand uncompromisingly like Daniel, like Athanasius, like Tertullian, like Stephen, and like the great saints throughout history to stand for God's truth, no matter how strong and sustained the opposition may grow against us, 
Brothers and sisters, we must joyfully, graciously, and courageously stand for the truth, lovingly sharing it with other people, and striving to live out our lives every day by the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's the world that we live in. And yet you and I have to have our minds constantly synced and calibrated to God's Word. And when we do that, we discover that we have the strength and the courage to stand against culture. But more important than that is to make sure we're being loyal to the one who was loyal to us all the way to that old rugged cross. And to him, all of our allegiance belongs. I'll talk to you on Friday. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.